0: Welcome to the Men's Global Live Stream. It's Kenny Luck. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold two spots for me. One in Matthew chapter 21, and the other in Second Timothy chapter two. You know, Dusty Davis has just been rocking our world in the last four weeks, doing this new series called Push and Pull. I've been participating in that series just like you, and here I get to come in right here at the end and finish out part five. And what we've been exploring is the issue of tension, right? The push and the pull in the Christian life and being God's man. The push and the pull of being God's man versus doing what God says. The the push and the pull of following Christ, but also leading, right? Others spiritually. The tension of staying and, and having influence right where we are, right? Right where God has planted us versus going, right? And reaching people for Jesus, right? The tension of saying no to yourself in order to say yes to serving others. And today, we're going to be talking about a very real tension when God asks something of God's man, and that is the tension of motivation. Do I have to do this, or I have to do it, or do I want to do it? And do I desire to do it? So when God makes an ask, is it a have to? Or do I want to? You see the difference? You kind of feel it in the tone of my voice. You know, Jesus addressed this. And here's where you want to open your Bible to our first key passage. He addressed this tension directly in the Gospels. And let me set up the context for this, all right? Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And he's now teaching and advancing the kingdom of God. And as he is teaching with authority and advancing the kingdom of God, inevitably, he's going to move people's cheese, right? He's going to disrupt their flow and their understanding. He's going to mess with their program, right? And at issue for men is, all right, who's doing the asking? Who is this Jesus? right and under what authority right is the ask that Jesus is making of us regarding God's plan and God's kingdom is that ask from heaven or is it just from a man you see the difference cuz it's from if it's from heaven then that calls for one response but if it's from a man then that's another thing and so as Jesus is getting peppered with questions. Hey, under what authority? He comes back with a question himself. He says, was John's baptism, the man who announced and made a way for Jesus, was John's baptism from heaven or from man? And what we'll see as we look at Matthew 21 is the struggle to respond. So, let's get right into the text because Jesus then takes us on a little journey by telling us a parable and for that original audience, but he's, he's talking to us right now. So let's go to Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through 32. Jesus says this, What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to show you the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So, remember the context. It's, was John's baptism from heaven or from man? Jesus asks the fellas. And they're asking him, under what authority are you doing these things? And he's demanding that they answer his question before he answers his. And so they, they are in a conundrum, all right? And let's unpack Jesus' parable and then we'll get to their response, right? In the parable, the father, write this down, is God the requester, all right? What does that mean? It just means that, that God is asking us to do something that's gonna demand some faith It might demand some sacrifice, it might demand a change of of plans, but there is this idea that it's going to require something of you, all right? Second, you see son number one and his process of response, all right? Son number one, he resists at first, then he repents, and then he relents To the request. Remember in the text, he said, I will not. But later he changes his mind and he goes to work in the vineyard. All right, that's response number one. That's son number one. Then there's son number two, and he relents at first. Write this down. He relents and says, Okay. And then he resists, right? And then he never repents. Right, so you see the compare and contrast of the two sons, right, where there's this resistance in the first son externally, but then internally there's a process and he's thinking about it. Like, okay, who's doing the asking here, changes his mind, and then he relents to the request. Then you have son number two and he's like a yes man right out the box, oh yes sir, I'll do it, right? But then he, he does not go, right? So he's outwardly positive, inwardly resistant, and he never repents. He never changes his mind. And so what Jesus is doing is he's, he's kind of setting up for these guys he's teaching and he's working with that when God makes the request, you can have two kind of responses. You know, you can see through the text where a yes with the mouth and a no from the heart, that's not the positive example, right? Because he asked which of the two did what the father wanted. It was the first, but the first wasn't like we would imagine. We would imagine like a good response would be, okay, dad, and then he just goes. But no, there's this struggle, right? Why? Because it's disrupting his plans it's it's messing with his program it's moving his cheese and he's just struggling with it so what we see in the passage is god's okay with the struggle right he knows that you know he might he might throw a wrench in your plans he might know that wasn't your expectation or maybe the timing's off as he's asking you to do something it's demanding a uh, it's demanding something of you it's going to cost you All right, what you thought you would do for what God thought you were going to, what you thought you were going to be up to versus what God wants you to be up to. And isn't that a tension? And what I love about this passage is that it's okay to wrestle with it. You know, it reminds me of when people ask you to do something you don't feel like doing. Like in my professional career, I remember as a junior executive I was part of a merger and an acquisition, and it was where all the energy in the company was. We, we had purchased our competitor, and now we were integrating operations. You know, it was this exciting season, and I got asked to be a part of the merger team, and I was traveling to um, Dallas and traveling to Chicago and, and, and traveling to um, back east, to Washington, and, and it was so cool, and uh, I remember getting that phone call from our executive vice president and he said, Kenny, we're we're taking you off of the merger team and we need you to come back to California and we need you basically to do a job that you've done before already, but we don't have anybody else. And it was internally, as I'm hearing the words on the phone, right? I think maybe some of you guys can identify with this when your boss is asking you to do something that's gonna change sort of your your path in the company, and I remember internally just like, oh no. But because of who was doing the asking, my executive VP, right, I, I said, okay. And it felt like a demotion, but man, I'm glad that through the struggle, I changed my mind about it and I got with the program because that one contract that I was asked to manage, which seemed at the time like such a demotion and a step backward, turned into 10 contracts with this particular hospital chain. And man, I am so glad that I said yes and I changed my mind about it, even though I struggled with it. Another example, real simple, is when my my wife, who was uh, friends with these other young mothers, said, hey, this couple needs help moving their house. You're going to help them on Saturday. Oh, really? Okay, I had plans for Saturday. But because of who was doing the asking, right? My wife, she has place, and she has authority to ask. I said yes. And so that ended up, turning to be one of the best decisions I've ever made, didn't, didn't like it at first, resisted it at first, but then changed my mind about it like son number one. My, my best friends for life, guys that will be carrying my, my casket at my funeral, I'm convinced, whenever that day comes, happen because of that ask. Now, my point is, is that sometimes on the other side of a God-ask is this this thing that you can't see, right? And it requires some faith uh, to say yes. But it all hinges on who's doing the asking, and that's what's going on with Jesus, him teaching and making requests with authority. These guys are these guys are wrestling with it, and he's saying, "Well, is it from heaven, or is it from man?" and What's the difference? What's the tiebreaker? So a little earlier in the passage in verses 25 and 26, we read this, and now let's get to the crux of the issue, all right? Jesus says, John's baptism, all right, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, them why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin? We are afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. Now, these guys cannot make up their mind, but you see they have a little pride and fear going on. Jesus is poking them and saying, from heaven or human, make up your mind, all right? And they're still stuck. It's it's hilarious. So instead of admitting their stubborn pride, which they would never do, Or instead of admitting that they're afraid of what the people will think, because John's a popular guy, right? Instead of being honest, you know what they say, and it's not in your notes, but they say, we don't know. Wow. Okay. Now that's even more self-incriminating, but you see, that's what happens when you want to hold to your position in pride, or you're afraid of what other people think. You just, like, play... The ignorance card, right? Like that somehow absolves you from having to respond to what God's asking. And the lesson is God's cool with the son number one response. Hey, you know what? The tax collectors and the prostitutes, they wrestled with it too, but they believed that John was from heaven, therefore from God. That God was doing the asking and was wanting them to repent and turn from their ways, right? So God's cool with struggle, think about it, yes from the heart, right? Um, But a no with the mouth, right? is, Is, and a yes from the heart, cool. The other one is son number two, and that's not okay, which is faking it. Oh yeah, for sure, 100%. Never intending to obey. And so, I love just kind of the setup. You know, it's it's okay to struggle. You see, when, when heaven asks, right, sometimes we just discipline ourselves. We go against our feelings like son number one and we recognize the place and the authority of who's doing the asking, right, the Father, God, and, and we, we go forward and we wrestle. All right? That's a real tension, right? But then sometimes we really want to do what God says, right? Because we believe and trust in his character and, and we know he's looking out for us and we have a right view of God and we struggle less. So, you see the difference? Sometimes discipline when God asks. Sometimes desire. Let's look at the first one. When heaven asks, sometimes discipline, all right? And I love... This passage we're going to look at next, it's your second key passage. It's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Listen to this and see if you can pick up kind of that that discipline aspect and how it's connected to obedience. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, join with me in suffering. Like a good soldier of Christ Jesus, no one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this, all right? So, let's remember the context of today's discussion, right? When heaven makes an ask, right, is it, do I have to do it or do I want to do it? Discipline or desire, right? So, let's unpack what Paul's encouragement is. um, In the context of inviting Timothy into suffering, as a man of God. There's a nice ask, hey, sign me up. Yeah, come, come suffer with me, come join me with suffering. Who asks people to do that, all right? But it's a supernatural request, right? Like a good soldier of Christ. So what do we see, all right? We see we see three, three types of guys, right? We see the soldier, we see the athlete, and we see the farmer, and there's some common denominators in each of those guys which goes to their discipline in the moment, right? Write this down. Common denominator number one. Each man identifies his strongest hope, right? So you got the soldier and the temptation and the ask from his nation is you're on contract now. You're not a civilian. You are in a military organization and so you can't go a wall, right? So there's the ask, and then the soldier has a hope, right? We'll get to that, but, and and that that hope is he wants to please his commanding officer. So the soldier identifies his hope as, I'm going to please my commanding officer. The athlete, he competes according to the rules. All right, you're going to be in this competition. You're going to compete according to the rules. Why is he going to discipline himself to compete according to the rules? That's the ask, because he wants to win the prize. That's his hope. So, pleasing the commanding officer, winning the prize. Then you got the hardworking farmer, all right? It's implicit, but the hard working farmer who wakes up at zero dark 30, gets behind a plow and a thousand pound mammal pulling that that plow, um, he's working hard. He's disciplining himself to wake up, to do the work, right? Why? Because there's a harvest, there's a hope. Right? So soldier, please the commander. Athlete, win the prize. Hardworking farmer, there's a harvest, right? Each man identifies his strongest hope. Then what's implicit is that each man disciplines his strongest energy. There's verbs connected to this, all right? So there's a strong hope, which creates strong, disciplined energy. Okay? What's the energy for the soldier? He's pleasing. He goes about now investing his energy in pleasing his commanding officer, right? The athlete invests his strongest energy in competing in the games according to the rules, right? The farmer just gets to the business of working the soil, right, to get the result, right? So that's common denominator number two. They identify their strongest hope. They discipline their strongest energy. Number three, each man receives his greatest reward. Okay? So, you see the connection, right? They're just not disciplining themselves for no reason. All right? There's some pain associated with their process. All right? But the process and the discipline gets them the prize. And, And that really... That preaches, man. It preaches to me and my heart, my spirit. It should preach to your spirit. What's the message of the Bible? That hope defeats suffering on the way to reward. I'm going to say that again. Hope defeats suffering. All right? The strong hope. That defeats the, the pain along the way to the great reward. Right. So now what we're seeing when God makes an ask, it might not feel comfortable in the moment. There might not even be a cost or a sacrifice or suffering, but our hope trumps and defeats that suffering and we continue on the way toward the prize, right? Talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible because it makes life real. It puts life in context. says this, at the time, discipline isn't much fun. It always feels like it's going against the grain. Later, of course, it pays off big time. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. Did you make that connection? What's God's word saying? What's the Holy Spirit trying to to get into our hearts right this second? Is that the hope of a big-time payoff, right? The hope of it drives big-time discipline, right? And every time we discipline our choices in the direction of our strong hope, right? This is what the Bible is telling us, right? What happens to us, all right? We're getting mature. We're getting trained. We're growing up. Toddlers are undisciplined. They're undisciplined with their bodies. They're undisciplined with their feelings. They're undisciplined with their reactions when they don't get their way. But a man is expected to be more disciplined, right? And I love the Bible because it's honest. At the time, No discipline is fun. Why? Because you're you're doing a no and a yes, just like Dusty talked about in part four, right? So it's no fun, but man, there's a payoff. The Holy Spirit wants to let us know, God's men, that today you're going to discipline yourself and you're going to go against feelings, right? And you're going to go against the grain of your flesh. You're going to go against the grain of your schedule. You're going to go against... the the grain of how you handle maybe your finances. You're going to go against the grain, right? But just remember, if God is making the request, even though it might not be fun, remember your strong hope, right? Which is the payoff, right? See, Jesus, in John chapter 13, he addresses the same kind of tension. He says, if you understand what I'm telling you, Act like it, and live a blessed life. All right. What I love about that verse, John thirteen seventeen. Man, highlight that one in your Bible. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it, and live a blessed life. What comes first, the action or the blessing? Let the paint dry on that one. Now we don't we don't feel our way into an action. We act our way into a blessing, right? Want to know why? Because it requires faith. Discipline, a no and a yes, a no to something to to make a yes to God, that discipline of that moment, it requires faith. I have to act my way. I have to faith my way into it. And the blessing is on the other side of the faith because God always rewards faith. There are some of you the Lord's just saying right now, there are some of you right now, you got to make a faith step. It's today's the day for your faith step. Today's the day where you're going to pick up the phone and call someone that you're at odds with. And you're going to you're going to take a step of faith, discipline yourself, go against your feelings, take an action that God wants you to take toward reconciliation and be blessed. Right? you are going to be blessed. Some of you are being called to give generously. And you're you have this tension of all right, do I do I hang on to it? Do I give a part of it? And God's saying, just be generous. Whatever is generous. Whatever you would perceive to be generous. Give that. Some of you are being called to say no to something on your schedule to say yes to a person. Like you're going to have to set aside Maybe a meeting or um, something that you're doing that is really fun in your mind. Like You don't want to miss it, but you're going to do it because God's calling you to do it for the sake of something for the kingdom out here. I don't know exactly what it is, but something really important to you. And if you're in that kind of zone today, can I just encourage you as God is speaking to you right now, do it act, listen to Jesus, if you understand what I'm telling you, right, that the ask is coming from heaven, you feel in your spirit like, hey, this isn't, this is kind of disrupting my flow, this is, but if the ask is from heaven, and it's messing with your program today or your expectation, but it's the right thing, and it's going to show love for God or love for another person, do that, and Jesus promises you will live a blessed life. So, you might be in the discipline camp right now. You gotta discipline yourself to do it. You gotta gotta act in faith. So when God asks you to take a certain step, obey a certain command, believe a certain truth, or claim a certain promise when you can't feel, the answer to that promise is even close, right? It's your hope in Him that drives your discipline in the present, right? Right? You fight your feelings, you act like son number one, he did the right thing. Sons of God do the right thing. You might struggle with it, you might even say, God, I'm not doing that, right away. But then, like a boomerang, your faith comes around and it's like, you know what, that's God doing the asking, all right, I'm going to go, I'm going to do what God says. That's okay. That's an okay process, a normal process. Jesus said, that's doing it the right way. All right. Now it's not always duty and discipline and have to, right? Where I have to go against my feelings. Sometimes when heaven's heaven asks, it's your desire that responds, right? And don't you wish that it was that way all the time? Like God asks you, you're like, yes, I will do that, right? And uh, it talks about this in Galatians two twenty. Got God's man Paul, and he's talking about um, a motivator, right? That, that pushes him from discipline to desire, right, where it's, it's not a, it's, he's not like pumping the brakes on the ask. He's like, nope, just gonna keep going because I have this inner motivation, this desire that's pushing me forward. See if you can pick it up. Galatians 2, 20 from the message, paraphrase. I identify myself completely with him, indeed. I have been crucified with Christ. My ego is no longer central. It is no longer important that I appear righteous before you or have your good opinion, and I am no longer driven to impress God. Christ lives in me. The life you see me living is not mine, but it is lived by faith in the Son of God, listen, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am not going to go back on that. Did you pick up his motivator? His driver? So the headline of the newspaper regarding Paul is, what's going on with him, right? Why is he so transformed? Why is he making new choices? what's, What's happening there? What's his motivation? What's at the core on the inside? Well write this down, the motivator is what connects you to Christ. And Paul points this out, right? My life, it's not mine anymore, but it is lived by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what connects him to Christ. And it's such a powerful connection. Somebody loved me enough to die for me. Yeah. I want to give back. I, I'm grateful for that. That gives me a desire that, you know what? I don't care about what that costs because he did that for me. If it cost me something, it didn't cost me that. And he's so grateful for that connection. Um, and that's the motivator. You see, man of God, what connects me and what connects you? And what connects us on this journey when God's making requests of us, you and your spaces and places, me and my spaces and places, Our motivation should be the same, and it should be the same as Paul's, right? We should be living by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is a powerful bond, right? Person who is dying, person who rescued them, right? Sinner separated from God and a future apart from God to saved and savior. Powerful connection, right? And we gotta use that as a driver. Sometimes it's discipline, all right? When we don't feel like desire, we just gotta steel ourselves, remember our hope, and say no to something and say yes to thing. Other times it's like, there's no way. You, hear, you, sh- you see what Paul said? I'm not gonna go back on that. His desire is like at a 10 because he's thinking about the cross. Why do you think Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. I'm leaving, but you're going to have this meal called communion, and you're going to reflect on what connects us, right? Blood, brokenness, so that your sin could be forgiven, so that you could have a purpose for living, and you could have a home in heaven. All right, let's look at the second motivator, right? When heaven asks, Sometimes it's discipline, but sometimes it's desire, why? It's what connects me to Christ, all right? We're gonna look at Matthew chapter six and look at the next motivator, right? That, that fuels our desire to say yes to God. Jesus says this, don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths, corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. So if what connects us to Christ fuels our desire, which is the cross, the next motivator is what's coming to you in Christ as you make a choice to say yes when God makes a request of you. In your marriage, when you say yes deposit in heaven, right? When you say no to getting to your destination and, and put on the blinker and pull over and help someone change a tire. When the guy who's holding the cardboard sign, you don't run past him but you stop, you talk with him and you bless him in Jesus' name, right? That's all storing up treasure in heaven. Some some might say, oh, we're, we're in it for the eternal profit. One hundred and fifty percent. Jesus is giving us an investment proposition right here. It's like, you make eternal choices, you say yes to God, it's like just compounding your account and your portfolio in heaven. Don't choose self, which is synonymous with hoarding treasure down here. right? Don't choose self-importance. Don't choose... Self-preservation, right? Don't choose self-gratification over God. And when you choose people over things, and you choose others over self, and when you choose not to use people to satisfy your own needs, that's storing up treasure in heaven. And God's going to ask you to do all three of those things. Every day, in some form, in some way. And I love it. It says, the place where your treasure is, okay, where you're making all those deposits, eternity, right, is the place where you want to be. Wow, right? And you'll end up being. So invest in your destination. It's sort of like, you know, when you travel cross country from the west coast where I am, you usually stop in Dallas, Denver, or Chicago to get to DC or Charlotte or Tampa, right? When I get off at the connector, right, um, on the way home from my trips, I don't, like, invest in in the cities where I'm connecting on a flight. Why? Because I'm investing my money where I live, okay? Back home here in Orange County, California, all right? I don't get out of the plane, get in a car, start, you know, Buying, uh, buying furniture, renting an apartment, or, or looking at careers in a connecting city. Why? I don't live there. right? And this is what Jesus is trying to get across to us, is that we invest in where we truly live and where we will end up being. Right? I'm going to end up being in Orange County. I invest and make investment where I live. The Christian is a citizen of heaven. The reality to which he really belongs is the kingdom of God, and that's the kingdom that you belong to now and where you will end up being. Jesus is saying, invest there. Don't invest in the short-term... short-term camping trip where everything goes back in the box here on earth. Invest in where you live. Invest in heaven. Now, what does that mean? It doesn't mean that you don't, you know... Earn a paycheck, buy furniture for your house on earth. No, you live. But what it does mean is that in your choices, whenever possible, right, invest in where you're going to end up being. This is a little camping trip here. Everything that you have here on earth, hate to tell you, is going in a box and ain't going with you to heaven. But every choice you make here for God, saying yes to God, whether it's, It's through discipline or maybe even desire for eternal profit. (laughs) Make that choice, right? Store up eternal treasure in heaven. All right, let's get to the third motivator. We find this passage of scripture in Matthew 25, verses 19 to 21. It says, After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness, right? What's the motivator there? Well, the motivator is what Christ will say on that day. you personally, face-to-face, there's a moment coming for me and there's a moment coming for you when we're going to stand face-to-face with our Lord and with our Savior. And his focus in that moment is, what did you do with the life I gave you? And the expectation is multiplication. What did you do with the relationships that I gave you? Did you multiply my purposes in those? What did you do with the resources that I gave you? Did you multiply those for eternal purposes? What did you do with the influence I gave you? Did you multiply those for God's glory? See, there is an expectation of multiplication. And every man of God listening to my voice needs to know that and to hear that. God has given you energy, he wants you to multiply. Gifts, he wants you to multiply, right? Resources, he wants you to multiply. Position, place, authority, he wants you to multiply those things for his glory. That's the idea. It's a stewardship thing, right? And... A motivator, a desire, a fueling desire is what connects me to Christ, the cross, is what's coming to me in Christ when I say yes to the requester, right? which is eternal reward, and also what Christ will say on that day. You know, as a pastor who's done hundreds of funerals, there's a stark difference uh, between the man who says yes to God as a discipline and as a desire versus the one who doesn't. Um, you'll hear people say about a man who disciplines himself to say yes to God and who desires to say yes to God, um, that man is hearing well done, good and faithful. And that's what we're all shooting for, fellas. You know, as, as one of your pastors who is in relationship with you, um, I want that moment for you to be the greatest moment of pride. And in that moment, we will either experience the joy of our disciplines and our desires and yeses, or we will experience the pain of regret. And I want that moment to be the end zone dance, man. That's where we score, we, we push it, We push it across the goal line. We go from the red zone of earth to the end zone of heaven. Glory, celebration. Man, we did it. You threw a block for me. I threw a block for you. You encouraged me. I encourage you to do things that matter for that moment. Because then there will be as little regret as possible. So you got your three motivators when God asks that, Doesn't make about discipline. You actually desire because you got a motivation of what connects you to Christ, the cross. You got a motivation of what's coming to you in Christ, eternal treasure. You got a motivator of what Christ will say on that day. And that pulls you into your yeses for God, right? Now, the Bible teaches that between this discipline we're talking about and desire when God asks, right? write this down, is honor. Between discipline and desire is honor. There's actually a third option. And what what are we honoring that is going to convert into a yes for God? Jesus tells us in John 15, 13, he says this, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You know, Charles Spurgeon said, a dying savior is the death of sin. What is he saying? He's saying that the sinner honors the sacrificer with their choices, right? And says, no to sin. It, it's a disciplined energy, but it's, it's sort of like when a man in the military receives the highest honor, the, the, the Medal of Honor, and some are given posthumously because the person normally dies, sometimes they don't die. But a lot of times we don't focus on the people he saved. There's the hero and the person who sacrificed for the sake of others, but then there's those who live because of the sacrifice. And I like to read about what these people feel about the person who either died or almost died trying to save them. And they all say the same thing, right? I don't want that person sacrifice for me to be in fame. And this is the principle of honor. They want to honor the sacrifice. They, they recognize what someone did for them. They respond not with words but with new purpose, right? They become, more responsible with their choices because of the second chance, right? They're better stewards of opportunities because of the, the the second chance. And they recognize it, they respond, and they release themselves essentially to a new mission in life. And that's to honor the sacrifice. And you and I are in the same boat. So, you know, there will always be a push and a pull in your journey with Christ especially in this area of saying yes when God makes a request and i want you to remember from Jesus's own words about son number 1 right a no kind of right away cuz it's just a disruption right jesus is okay with that but then son number 1 thought about it and remembered the place and authority of the person doing the asking and then He did what the Father asked, all right? And that's the model, all right? You're not, you don't have less faith if you wrestle with a request of God, right? Because it's going to require faith. And you're going to sometimes have to discipline yourself to do those things, which is proper and normal. But sometimes you're just going to have the desire on your own, right? And guess what? Both are awesome right? So man of God, discipline yourself today if you have to. Or let these motivators of what connects you to Christ, what's coming to you in Christ, or what Christ will say on that day, drive your yes. Amen? Well, let's pray and let us the Holy Spirit to kind of fill us, to keep us disciplined and desiring the will of God. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us Because there's a battle with the world, there's a battle with the flesh, there's a battle with our feelings, there's a battle with the enemy, and Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us right now. Holy Spirit, cause our strong hope in Jesus to rise. Just like the soldier who wants to please his commanding officer, the athlete that wants to win the prize, the hardworking farmer that wants this massive harvest, Lord, let you be the object of our hope and let you, Jesus, fuel our strong discipline in the present to choose you, to obey you, Lord, so that we can secure the prize of pleasing you. Holy Spirit, also help us to have that desire, which is normal and natural. Help us focus on your sacrifice, Jesus, and what connects us to you. And. Help us to focus on what's coming, Lord, for us, the treasure in heaven. Every time we say yes to God, in whatever dimension of our lives, the, there's treasure being stored up in heaven. And, and Holy Spirit, help us focus on what you will say to us. And Lord, I, in faith right now, I'm just going to step out and jump off and declare that moment will be one of faithfulness and pleasure from your lips to every man hearing my voice. Even that this day will be a marker, that it will be marked on this very moment, on this very day, in a journal, in a Bible, somewhere, that this was the day that that we committed to hearing those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I declare multiplication of what's been given to every man on the other end of my voice, that it will be multiplied for your glory, God, and then I declare celebration. Lord, that when, when I see them, to a man, we will celebrate and we will glorify God. In Jesus' name I ask, and God's men said, amen. Amen. Tune in next week. We'll see you then.